My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 113, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Samuel 9-10, through 1 Chronicles 9-10, through 10, Psalm 27, and Psalm 89. 2 Samuel 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Meshubosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonites' commanders said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, Stay at Jericho till your beard has grown and then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rahab and Zobah, as well as the king of Makkah with a thousand men and also 20,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of their city gate. 
while the Aramians of Zobah and Rohab and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites realized that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadzer had Armenians brought from beyond the Euphrates River. They went to Halam with Shobach, the commander of Hadadzer's army, leading them. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Halam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadazar saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. First Chronicles 9 All Israel was listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the king of Israel and Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now, the first to resettle on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. Those from Judah, from Benjamin, and from Ephraim and Manasseh who lived in Jerusalem were Utha, son of Amehud, the son of Omri, the son of Imri, the son of Bani, a descendant of Perez, son of Judah. Of the Shelanites, Asiah, the firstborn, and his sons of the Jerahites, Jaul, the people from Judah, numbered 690. Of the Benjamites, Salu, son of Meshulam, the son of Hodazai, the son of Hassanah, Ibnah, son of Jeroham, Allah, son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, and Meshulam, son of Shephatai, and the son of Raul, the son of Ibnanajah, the people from Benjamin, as listed in their genealogy, numbered 956. All these men were heads of their families. Of the priests, Jedi, Joharib, Jakin, Azariah, son of Hilkai, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Meraoth, the son of Ahatub, the official in charge of the house of God. Adai, son of Jerohom, the son of Pashur, the son of Melchizedek, and Masai, son of Adiel, and the son of Jazerah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshulamith, the son of Immer, the priests who were heads of families numbered 1,760. They were able men responsible for ministering in the house of God. Of the Levites, Shammai, son of Hashub, the son of Akrikam, the son of Hashabai, Merakite, Bekarar, Haresh, Galal, Metanai, son of Mekah, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, Obadiah, son of Shammai, the son of Galal, and the son of Jeduthun, and Berechai, son of Asa, the son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Netophites. The gatekeepers, Shalom, Akub, Talmon, Ahaman, and their fellow Levites, Shalom, their chief, being stationed at the king's gate on the east, up at the present time. 
These were the gatekeepers belonging to the camp of the Levites, Shalom, son of Cori, the son of Ebesaph, the son of Korah, and the fellow gatekeepers from his family, the Korahites, were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent, just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. In earlier times, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, was the official in charge of the gatekeepers, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah, son of Meshalamai, was the gatekeeper at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Altogether, those chosen to be gatekeepers at the threshold numbered 212. They were registered by genealogy in their villages. The gatekeepers had been assigned to their position of trust by David and Samuel the seer. They and their descendants were in charge of guarding the gates of the house of the Lord, the house called the Tent of Meeting. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their fellow Levites and their villages had to come from time to time and share their duties for seven-day periods. But the four principal gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted with responsibility for the rooms and treasuries in the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it, and they had charge of the key for opening it each morning. Some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple service. They counted them when they were brought in and when they went or taken out. Others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary, as well as the special flour and wine and the olive oil, incense, and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices. A Levite named Metahai, the firstborn son of Shalom, the Korahite, was entrusted with the responsibility of baking the offering bread. Some of the Koahites, their fellow Levites, were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. Those who were musicians, heads of Levite families, stayed in the rooms of the temple and were exempt from other duties because they were responsible for the workday and night. All these were heads of Levite families, chiefs as listed in their genealogy, and they lived in Jerusalem. Jael, the father of Gibeon, lived in Gibeon. His wife's name was Makah, and his firstborn son was Abdon, followed by Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shemim. They too lived near the relatives in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish, Kish the father of Saul, and Saul the father of Jonathan, Malchushua, Abinadab, and Eshbael, the son of Jonathan, Meribel, who was the father of Micah, the son of Micah, Pithon, Melech, Teriah, and Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Jadah, and Jadah was the father of Elmeth, Azmaveth, and Zimri, and Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Benai. Raphai was his son, Alessa his son, and Azel his son. Azel had six sons, and these were their names. Azrikam, Bokeru, Ishmael, Shariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on the Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malachi's Shuai. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him. Saul said to his armor-bearer, "'Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and abuse me.'" But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. When all the Israelites in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. 
The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news among their idols and their people. They put his armor in the temple of their gods and hung up his head in the temple of Dagon. When all the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men went and took the bodies of Saul and his sons and brought them to Jabesh. Then they buried their bones under the great tree in Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse." Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemy and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. Of his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Lord, who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is the greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When it waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the fountain of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. 
I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of me. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David." This is his line, will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and you have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life for what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which is your faithfulness, you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how you servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemy, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. As we read in the last story, David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said no. Instead, God said he would build David a house and a dynasty that would live forever. It echoed back to the promise God made to Abraham. So David is the king of all 12 tribes. The Ark of the Covenant is in his city, and God made this promise to him. What happens next? Well, David responded with a prayer, and then we see more of who David is. He is God's king. He is God's chosen king exercising his rule. Dr. John Woodhouse describes it as anticipating Jesus' reign. We see David's victory over adversaries. In 2 Samuel 8.15, we read that David exercised justice and righteousness for all his people. For a moment, that is what and who David reflected, a world where wrongs are right and fairness works. This is what God's kingdom is about, bringing shalom to chaos, God's order, things being put right, restoration and redemption. Then here in chapter nine, Dr. Woodhouse describes how it becomes more personal. The theme is kindness, where David is caring for his best friend's lame son, Mephibosheth. This is surprising in the sense that his son is a descendant of Saul and could be perceived as a future line for the throne. But we remember the relationship that David and Jonathan had and the promise they made that David made to Jonathan. So we are seeing David's character. And then in chapter 10, David is kind again, but it is spurned. This leads to a response. 
David Woodhouse describes rejecting God's kindness, his invitation, his kindness, if you're rejecting it constantly, it does end up having self-inflicted consequences, especially when you become the anti-story and seek to fight against him. This will, and it does end, it has to. Notice we have moved beyond the genealogies in First Chronicles, hallelujah, to the telling of the stories of David. But as Dr. Mackey describes, it's without the negative. So notice as we start going through First Chronicles, we don't read about Saul chasing and persecuting David in the desert or David's moral shortcomings with Bathsheba and Uriah, amongst others. Instead, we are focused on only the positive things. So that's really interesting. Then we read the psalmist in chapter 89, sings and wonders, questions. Can we depend on God to deliver on his promise to bring the deliverer, the king from the line of Jesse, from the house of David? This is interesting because as Dr. Woodhouse points out, the psalms are written by and largely about David's experiences and David's story. While we know the answer is yes, God can be trusted to deliver on his promises. We also recognize and perhaps remember what it feels like to have that question, to feel that tension when we are suffering and something is tremendously hard or we cannot understand it. The why is unclear and perhaps totally baffling. We lean in and remember the story of God, the story of Job. The answer is faith in the relationship, not necessarily clarity on all the details. It's putting belief before our own wisdom and our own knowledge on our own terms. If we think back to Genesis uh, 2 and 3, remember, it's choosing God's way in the tree of life and not the tree of knowledge. It's His goodness. It's faithfulness in that. It's remembering and giving our heart in faith that He will. He has made a way, and while we may not understand the details, we know our God is good, and He will deliver on His promises. Have faith and take heart. We see that David is impressive and shows signs of being a just and righteous king. And here we focused in chapters 9 and 10 on on his kindness. But remember, we already know that humans are not meant to be the king. This is God's role. And so just to forewarn you, this human king is going to make some really upsetting human slash immoral bad judgment calls. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.